Welcome to the Crave Magazine Podcast, feeding your soul with art. What is life if you don't have art? Give your art to the world because the world needs that. Embrace mentors. Look at the people who have already done what you've done. If you have enough discipline and enough focus, then you're able to achieve what you want to achieve. Sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. Hello, my interweb friends. It is time for another edition of the Crave Magazine podcast. Today, I am very excited to be sitting down to chat with Troy Williams. He is the owner and art director of Vandalism Designs. With 30 years in the fashion industry and having presented in cities across the country from LA to New York, as well as having clients around the world, Troy has a massive amount of experience within the fashion realm. His work is original and it's avant-garde and he pushes the boundaries of traditional style through what even is considered unique. Vandalism Designs is based in Denver, Colorado and Troy is currently preparing a new and exciting showcase for his 30th anniversary celebration. Troy, very excited to have you on the show today, my friend. Hello, Jim. Thank you. I appreciate your time and the opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's start out the show with a quote or an inspiration, whether an artist or an art piece or a fashion designer, something that inspires you, something that you've carried with you throughout your career. Well, it's not necessarily a quote. It is the company slogan, and that is, sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. I strongly believe that and pursue that on every level of my life. I think that you can base yourself in tradition and do new different things. I don't think tradition dictates that you have to do the same as your predecessors. Sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. Okay. And so let's take that a little deeper. How do you stand out? I'm unlike all I know. (laughs) visually uh, a lot of the ways that I think uh, how I approach things is generally different than most of my friends family and business associates and so I have garnered that idea from always being told about being a black sheep or the odd dude or the weird guy you know I'm always set off somewhere to myself I'm never put into a group thing no matter what it is I do and how long they know me so I'm all people ask a lot of times who is that dude? What is he all about? And my friends always say, oh, that's just Troy. So. <laughs> okay. And we'll get more into that inspiration in a little bit, but okay. I want to talk more about your backstory. How did you get started with what you do? Why choose fashion? And take us on that journey a little bit. Okay. Well, fashion has been my dream since childhood. I wanted to do it from an age that I can recall about four. I went on a quest to figure out what it was because and I've told this story uh, more than once. I watched an old version uh, or an old episode of the Ed Sullivan show, and it was Diana Ross and uh, the Temptations on his show. And the Temptations came out, and you know, they were always in their suits and everything. Diana Ross came out, and I'll never forget it, in a Bob Mackey bugle beaded gown, asymmetric fringe, and the entire audience did a collective. <gasps> and I wanted that, and I didn't know what that was at that age and so I took theater and I took dance and I took vocal lessons and all of that but I didn't realize that it was the fashion and when I realized it was the fashion I was in about fifth grade and that was my first attempt of making a garment but I had done sketches as early as third grade. Wow I don't remember what I was into at four years old that's pretty cool. Um, So you said you tried dance and you tried 
singing in some other theater. What was it about fashion that stood out that caused you to go in that direction versus one of the other areas? That collective ooh-ah. Because if you go to a fashion show and it, the music isn't so loud that you can't hear the audience, you always get to hear that collective ooh-ah. And it's intoxicating for whatever reason. Sure, sure. Um, t- tell me about a couple of successes that you've had over the years. Great successes or mediocre successes? What would you like to Let's start with great successes. (laughs) I'm never one to drop names because I just don't like people to do that. I'm very strong about my craft and my career, but some of the most famous people in movies and music have my work. And for me, that's a super amazing thing. And in some cases, even their uh, offspring are now my clients. And so it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. I guess I would say the other big thing or big success is that I have been an independently owned and operated company for 33 years, and I've never had an infusion of money from a benefactor or a sponsor or anything like that. I bust my ass year-round, nonstop. So over the 33 years, you've gotten your work into the hands of, like you said, some celebrities or, or in, in music and film. Yes. And that you've never had a benefactor, so you've had to go through the quote-unquote hard struggle of being a self-employed entrepreneur, figuring that business side out about. Yes. Uh, well, I'm lucky in a lot of aspects because my parents and grandparents owned uh, taverns and small businesses the whole time I grew up, and prior to that, uh, various farms and whatnot. So I had the entrepreneurial spirit in my uh, family. And so I always envisioned myself owning my own business. I wanted to work for other designers and get into the industry and build a name kind of like Donna Karen did with Lily Rubin. Uh, but the circumstances in the cosmos did not work it out that way. And so I have been on my own uh, the entire time. Now, I did leave high school and get offered a job in Detroit working with a fashion designer and jumped at the opportunity, but that didn't work out. And when that didn't work out, I decided that I would be truly the ruler of my destiny and uh, put my company out front, and I have never looked back. What do you think about that whole idea of, like, apprenticeship or working under somebody else versus just going out on your own? And I think out? the apprenticeship idea is amazing if you have people that truly want to be mentors and teach you the industry, not give you attitude and all kinds of mess, you know, browbeat you, down talk you, all the things that a lot of people within the entertainment world will do when you're new and fledgling. Uh, But as long as you can run into people or entrepreneurs, even people that are retired, that have a love for the craft, because for me, it's about the fashion. I, as I said, I've worked with celebrities and non-celebrities and dignitaries and beauty queens and all kinds of people over the years, but it's always been about the fashion for me. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how famous you are. I care about producing beautiful work that lasts. Do you think some of that apprenticeship of like going through the trenches and having to do the grunt work and those kind of things are important to learn the basic like discipline and, and what it really takes to to make it in the creative field. Yes, I strongly believe that, and I'll give you three reasons why. Now, you know, like I know, everyone is tuning in, or most everyone is tuning in to reality TV, and what I've always said about that is reality has no commercial breaks or sponsors. It comes fast and hard, and you either are able to deal and 
get a handle on it or you fail. And the reason why I say fail is pick any reality show that's out there about the arts and the people that walk in that are the grandest or supposedly the grandest when they walk in the room talking all of this trash are the first ones to break down into tears, the first one to have some sort of emotional outburst or episode. And that's not how the industry of creative things work. I think as artists, we've gotten a bum rap over the years that people think that all artists are temperamental and bearish when it comes to how they deal with people. And that's just not the case. I think if you deal with people with kindness and courtesy, you can get just as much as if you browbeat or mistreat. Speaking of kindness and courtesy, like must have been some hard times that you've had or some challenges. Even if you had that attitude of I'm always going to be courteous, I'm always going to do my best, I'm always going to put my best foot forward, there must have been some tough times. Oh, plenty. Uh, too many to speak about. Give me two. Give you two. Yeah, and, and how you've overcame them. Well, one, and it's something that is an ongoing theme, unless you are one of the big designers in New York or Paris somewhere. And what I mean by big is big publicity doing retail work, retail goods and whatnot. Everyone within the fashion industry that would not have a job without the fashion industry wants to dictate what fashion is. And my question is always why? I can't walk into a hair salon and tell uh, lead colorists how best to color hair because that's the craft. That's what they know. So when you come to me as a hairdresser, a makeup artist, a promoter, whatever it is that wants to do a fashion event or a fashion presentation, people want to try and dictate what fashion is. And I tell most of them, what you're talking about is trend and fad. I do lifelong style, things that you can wear for years and years, and it never dates itself. And I work very hard to do that because I, for years, I did my work and I went back to look at a retrospect just for myself and I realized that I wanted to make sure that no matter when it was I did my clothing, you couldn't look at it and say, oh, that's from 1990 because it was this thing of trend. It was this thing that was popular. And so I've always been very adamant not to do that. So if I make you something this year, nine times out of the 10, you'll be able to wear it nine, 10 years from now and get just as many compliments on it because I live that life all the time. I pull out old suits and things that I can still wear and wear them somewhere and people just fawn and go crazy about it. I'm like, well, this is 15 years old. This is 20 years old. And so it's it's a great affirmation to be able to put on something that old and still get so much love. Oh, you look nice. So that's very beautifully done, you know, whatever the case may be. So you strive in your, in your style to be timeless in what you create most often? Timeless and avant-garde, and that's a hard sword to balance, trust and believe. A lot of people like to equate those of us in fashion that do avant-garde attire, costumey or costumers, and I have to tell them, I'm not in theater, I'm not doing a movie, I'm at a fashion show. I'm ahead of the curve, and that's not my title, that's what people have put on to me, is that, well, you do things that are just ahead of the curve, and in time, people will be into it, and true to that statement, Things that I was doing 20 years ago, people are just now doing in fashion and various cuts, more so for the men than the women. But it's still some of the things that I did 20 years ago are just now coming into being on a regular basis for the retail and commercial fashion market. Um, you mentioned as far as the retail and 
commercial fashion designer versus like someone who um, does custom pieces and, and it sounds like you you're more of that custom designer I am a custom haute couture designer and for those who don't know what haute couture means it means that 95 to 97 percent of the entire garment is sewn by hand that is what gives you that title and to my knowledge as it stands right now you can only be given that title by France you can say you're a couturier but France is the only country in the world that can give you that title uh, and they have only named 12. Do you know all 12? I used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't need to rattle them off. I just wondered. Um, I think like a lot of times you hear a big name designer because they do avant-garde and they do something really far out there, but then they get their clothing inserted into major retail stores. So even like uh, Alexander McQueen, yes. who is avant-garde, Very much so. but you can find Alexander McQueen clothes in retail. You can, but you can't find those boots and some of the completely encrusted, stone-encrusted cat suits with the hoods. You don't find that in uh, the retail places because it had to be watered down. The major reason fashion designers do shows is to show to the retailers, all of the department stores and uh, chain stores, boutiques, anybody that sells clothes that is not a designer. That is the main premise for the fashion design shows other than you showing what your creative uh, prowess is as a designer. Because think about Jean-Paul Gaultier. Uh, he was in retail before he got Madonna as a client, but she helped to propel him on that retail end better than a lot of other things would have or could have because she was so popular. So her fans wanted to buy it. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many musical artists are within the fashion realm now because they know that the people that are buying their albums will buy their clothes. In most cases, some of them are just doing janky stuff and it's not up to snuff as far as, you know, because as a retail person, and I've worked in retail, so I know it quite well, but one of the things that always bothers me about it is the quality. I don't want disposable clothes if I can't wad them up and throw them in the trash. I, you know, I don't want to buy something and wash it eight times and it's useless. All the crusting is falling off of it. It's got no more glitter. The, the image is faded. That's just poor quality of work. And I work very hard as a haute couture custom designer because I do haute couture work, but not as often as I would like. One, for the price points of it. Two, most people don't want to take the time it takes to do true haute couture. And that's at least 15 fittings to make sure it's perfect at how you sit and when you stand bending all of these things so that not only is it made well but it moves with your body mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of retailers don't have in their favor because they use fit models and fit models are approximately your size they usually go by the height but people are so drastically differently shaped whether it be due to ethnicity or diet or profession and so it's really hard to go out and shop in retail if you have an odd shape or a different kind of figure now myself and i tell this story every now and again as a youngin i wanted to go out and wear the designer jeans that everybody was promoting whether it been brook shields or whomever and my mom took me to sergio valente <laughs> I pulled out a pair of Sergio Valente I thought would fit me and fit me beautifully. They were a size 36, 
But at this time, I hadn't started my business and wasn't really focused on a lot of stuff in fashion. I was still doing my sports and school stuff. And burst into tears at the store because I picked up a size 36 and I couldn't get them past my thighs. And I'm like, I can't be that big. You know, I don't, nothing else is that big when I buy it. And so I found out that that was a European size. And so that's why it was not accommodating my thighs and I bum uh, any better than it did because it wasn't made for my size truly. It said my size or said a size that should have fit me, but it's European sizes and they're always different than ours or American sizes, anyways. You talked about doing custom pieces versus retail and not creating trendy pieces. I guess what the question that came up was, like you see a design on an actress or an actor or whatever on the red carpet, but there's so much pressure put on their next event has to be a completely different outfit. Or like like Whoopi Goldberg, I think, made this famous where she hosted the Oscars or whatever award ceremony where she changed her clothes like 10 times during the ceremony. And... Do you think that puts more pressure on a designer to always come up with fresh new ideas? You mentioned earlier about having something that had longevity that you could pull it out of your closet mm. five or ten or even 20 years later mm-hmm. and it's still being fresh. How does that contrast with, hey, I always have to have something new? Well, it contrasts two ways. First way is you can always produce new things because there's new ways of weaving, new techniques of sewing, new apparatuses to sew, and so you can remain fresh just on the technological end. But clothing design is just like architecture. It has to be mathematically sound so that it fits and accommodates the body properly, whether it's a male body or a female body, and according to their size. Do you spend time, like you said, you don't, you try not to emulate anybody else. Do you spend time looking at other work to, for for creative inspiration or I guess maybe just a more direct how do you find how do you find that not for creative inspiration but I look at uh, current designers whether they're old or new to see what the current trends are who the fashionistas are talking about and that makes it easier to pinpoint my direction Mm -hmm. because nine times out of the ten I'm ahead of the curve and so I have done something and gotten past it by the time that the industry gets it. You know, case in point, all the embroidery on the jeans and stuff for men. I did that 10, 12 years before it was out on a popular basis. And people were looking at me like, but that's denim. And I can't embroider denim, why? Who says? You know, where is that rule in fashion that you can't have an embroidered denim suit? You know, and so then when... uh Roberto Cavalli and some of the others were doing it. Oh, then it was kosher and cool for everybody to wear and do. I'm the designer or the type of designer that you have to be very sound and solid in who you are and what your image is and know yourself. You can't put on some of my work and go into a spot and not be singled out or seen because it's different than most everything you're going to see. Not that it's exaggerated or ridiculous, but it's just different than most everything else you see. And when you get up on it to examine it, you really get to see the difference comparably to what's in the commercial market or fad or trend or whatnot. Have you ever created something and then after you got done with it, you looked at it and said, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> and those things never see the light of day. I never show them to another person or another designer friend. I Usually what I will do is I will take the idea and shelve it. I have bins and bins of 
prototype garments and prototype leather goods and bags that either the time is not right, the idea is too fashion forward uh, for the main industry, or it's such a labor to do that people don't want to spend the money it takes to do it. Mm -hmm. Like to date, I put 150,000 beads on one dress by my hands. I put 85,000 sequins on one dress by my hands. And people don't necessarily want to pay for that work unless it is their wedding or something. Uh, but that's the type of work that I do all the time. And the reason I say custom good and haute couture is custom goods is it's custom is made for you. It's one of a kind, but it's machine sewn, not computer done, but machine sewn and not sewn by hand. Uh, the reason why you spend what you spend at Chanel and some of these other places is every stitch on it is done by hand. Mm. And that's a lot of technique and skill that goes into that to build you pants and skirts and jackets that you don't bust open as soon as you raise your arm or sit down or whatnot. And so I appreciate that great technique and the longevity it produces. Case in point, think about uh, Queen Elizabeth I. Her gowns are still on display five, six hundred years later because it was handmade. They didn't have sewing machines then. And so the meticulousness that you pay to a garment by hand is completely different than what you would do by machine or commercial machines. Where do you get your inspiration from then? Everything. Music, the sky, the colors of the sky, artwork. Like I get some of the weirdest inspiration from nature, animals and the land and rocks and different things for color tones. And even some of the shapes come from those places for me because everything inspires me. I, like I said, I, I can't think of a particular field or thing that doesn't inspire me. Now, even pictures, because I, I love space and I still study space, even though I didn't go into that endeavor. That's a whole other interview. But <laughs> I, uh, I love the knowledge that we are gaining, the information that we have now about outer space and the planets and things. We have more and have gathered more information in the last decade than in the last 300 years. That's an amazing thing to know that there are super giant blue planets. There are super giant white planets and red planets and all these things that we don't necessarily see right out of our windows, those things inspire me. What's one of the uh, biggest lessons that you've got from being a fashion designer? Know your worth. Your worth means knowing your place in the world, your place in art history, your place in the current thing that's going on, whatever it is that you are involved in, is knowing your worth. Even though you're young doesn't mean that you're not talented. Even though you're old doesn't mean that you're not talented. So I believe that it's always about knowing your worth. Now, funny thing, would you ever think that John Malkovich would be a fashion designer? <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah. Apparently for a long time. I didn't know that. Exactly. Until recently. And so that's a beautiful thing to know that he has that passion. And he's one of the people that loves the craft. And it's a lot of people that wear things that... It's for trend, it's for uh, fad, it's for this opening or premiere, but they're not really into it. Any other time, they're in jeans and sweats. Mm -hmm. There are people like myself that uh, I used to tell the story, and the only thing I could make the analogy where people would understand it is, I'm up at eight o'clock in the morning dressed like June Cleaver, and I have no kids to take care of and nowhere to go. You know, so <laughs> why not wear jeans and things? Why be dressed to the nines at eight o'clock in the morning and no one sees you? 
those that do that, that's because that's how they truly live. That's how they love to be. They, it, it's not a labor to them to get up and put on finery. And for me, it's not a labor. I would much rather be dressed in dress shoes and uh, some sort of great dupioni silk or wool or whatnot than jeans and sweatshirts. But, you know, again, why be out in your yard, you know, doing the garden in dupioni silk or, you know, some crazy fabric that you can ruin so easily? So what I've got so far is for people starting out maybe or interested in fashion is you draw inspiration from everywhere. So look everywhere for inspiration. Yes. And also know your worth. Yes. Um, what about education, formal education versus, um, we talked a little bit about apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. How much formal education in fashion design have you had versus how much has it been well, I've real done, life experience? I've done a lot of apprenticeships over the years with various designers for various reasons, but uh, I still want to go to school, still want that, but I was in a circumstance of being one of the kids in the late 80s where they weren't doing any sort of uh, real scholarships or help for school and design schools weren't cheap then and they're surely not cheap now. Yeah. And so I say to any youth that yes, you must know the basics. That's the only way that you can go in and flip it on its ear. You know, do something different and innovative is to know the basics. You you can't make a backless dress code for a man and not know how to make a dress code. Right. You have to have that basics. And the public library is a beautiful thing. I don't think people utilize it as much as they should because everybody wants to go on Google or YouTube, you know, do these tutorials. But you can read books about designers. You can read books about the origination of embroidery. And these things, at least for me, give me great inspiration. I love Chinese fabric, Japanese fabric, not just the silks, but the embroidery that they put on them, the beads that they put on them, and the exquisite way in which the different dynasties dressed over the centuries. These things are very, very important to me because I can pull that tradition of the look without having to do the embroidery or the beading and still give you that great idea to show you that, yes, it is steeped in tradition, but I've decided to go at it a little bit of a different way. Sure. Let's go a little deeper. Okay. What's something that you hate about being an artist? Or a fashion designer? Honestly, that far too many people think that they are fashionistas and they are not. They are fad and trend. And they want to come to you and talk fashion theory and have no clue to what they're talking about. When you say fashionista, what do you mean by fashionista? Fashionistas to me are people that stay in magazines, are always on the latest trend, always on the latest fad, but nothing is lasting. True fashion is lasting. And the reason why I say that, if it wasn't, you wouldn't be able to go and see Queen Elizabeth I gowns. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be able to go to these various museums around the world and see some of these designs, whether it be Oscar de la Renta or Valentino. Several of them have museums. Now, this is kind of a sidebar thought, something that I want to do. I want to get funding to build a museum for Halston. For uh, Halston? Yes, the designer. Yeah. Uh, he's... My pet project, so to speak, and the reason why I say that, in America, Paulson was the first designer to have clothing, furniture, jewelry, housewares. He was the first. And 
when he passed, one of his great clients collected all of his sketches and things that people were going to just throw away. And she bought it all and took it to La Jolla Bible College, one of the best designers in the world. They still say no one has sold more dresses than Holston. Hmm. He needs a museum. He's an American artist. Sure, absolutely. That has touched the world, not only the world of fashion, but when you think about eras of people's dressing, if you go back and you think about the 70s and the 80s, because he died in 1992, you could name a celebrity that wasn't in Halston, male or female. And that speaks to his great talent and foresight to see things in the future, because we couldn't go anywhere. Would No other designers would have dishes and sofas and all of that stuff, had it not been for Halston having the forethought to branch out fashion past that. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how we hang on to things from the past and how we let go of certain things from the past and only to realize years later the value. Man, if we kept on, held on to that. Exactly. It had some value. His, if nothing else, just historical value of this is where this person was or exactly. where they were when they were designing or when they were creating, whatever. Exactly. Now, uh, the places that he owned in New York, the house and the salon, are owned by other people, but they still exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw an interview of a person that, because they did this uh, documentary a few years back with people that had worked with Halston and the celebrities and whatnot, and they went to his house, uh, what was his house, and the guy living there now has it decorated nice, but it's not nearly as beautiful as Halston had it decorated, and we're talking 20, 30 years later. Sure. And that's true talent to last through time you it doesn't get any better than that so what's something that you love most about being a fashion designer being an artist well what i love most about being a fashion designer is that i can make anything i decide to wear with shoes so i'm never in this situation where i can't have exactly what i want to wear and so i i love that aspect of it and in my previous years i used to produce a suit a day for myself Every single day, I would make me a suit. No matter what else I was doing, I would make me one suit, or at least start. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone starting out in fashion? The major piece that I would say is no more than the one thing that you like. As a fashion designer, I'm supposed to be able to make clothing for anyone of any size, height, or shape. That is my job. And to tell people, oh, well, you're not a size two, so I can't make this for you. That's ridiculous, at least in my thinking. Because I tell people now, I I call up these names to prove my point. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor worked with uh, Bob Mackey the way that she did because of their great relationship as people. But beyond that, whenever he did her a gown, he made three. One for a smaller size, one for a medium size, one for her bigger size. So that she still had her look together. Designers don't go through that effort for their clients too much anymore. Unless you're really dealing with the high-end, big-name designers. Uh, Just like the, uh, well, he's no longer with Dior, but Rob Simmons. He didn't realize as a designer that in order to do the grand avant-garde fashion shows, you have to have clients that are loyal and not the people that are in the retail stores because they're not loyal, they're very fickle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the director of the company was telling him, 
We have clients that buy $300,000 worth of Dior a season. That's four times a year they spend that kind of money. These are the people that they send their best sewers to if there's anything with the stuff that they've ordered. And regardless of whether you have a fashion show or not, that's where your attention should be because these are the people that bring you your bread and butter. And I don't think that a lot of young designers realize that. They want to immediately go for the celebrities or be in the celebrity clique. And that's a very hard arena to be in because if you don't have the money to be where they are, how are they to see you? How are they to get your work? And in most cases, most people's PR people or handlers do not allow you to get to them regardless to how long you've been in it. If you're not a superstar or famous, then it makes it a little bit more difficult to get to. I'm lucky in that aspect because I contact people directly, whether it be through, in today's world, their fan pages or what have you. I, I reach out to them and let them know I would like to work with them, not for them, with them, because it's a collaborative effort to design something for anybody. Mm -hmm. I, I have to know what you like. I have to know if you're allergic to any fabrics. I have to know if you have an aversion to any colors and whatnot. Those things are very important. And I make a point when I deal with my clients to make sure that I know those three things if I don't know anything else. But I also like to know the person's lifestyle. Is this something that you're wearing for just one event? Or is it something that you're going to moderately put into your wardrobe and it might be seen four or five times a year? And it depends on how you dress it up or dress it down to whether it looks the same or not. You talked a, a little bit about the fundamentals and how it's important to know the fundamentals of mm -hmm. good design and, and even the basics of like how to create a stitch kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also obvious just talking to you that you have a vast knowledge of the history of fashion. Do you think for someone working in the industry that's also important? That they Very important because you need to know other than where you live pertaining to fashion. I have always been very interested in, uh, as I said, Japanese and Chinese design, but also things that the Vikings wore, also things that Africans wore. Uh, it runs the gamut and from around the world. And the reason why I study these things is so as I produce work, even though it's not something that may be of knowledge in the U.S. or put out on the front burner for people to really know that knowledge, I steep my work in that tradition. Now, you know for yourself, you've seen a lot of how I dress. The long jackets and things are from Japanese, Chinese, and African lineage. That, that's just how they dressed and for many, many centuries. And so these things, for me, that's where my length of a lot of stuff comes from. Uh, the extra length of what I produce, like the things that drag the ground, I do that to represent luxury. How, how luxurious can you be to be so grand to let your fabric drag the ground? <laughs> uh, that's good. I like that. I, I didn't know that little piece of it, but it makes sense. You know, if, you, if you're that rich or high status that your clothes can touch the ground. And you're not trip about it. Right. Right. That's interesting. We talked about the quote at the beginning, the vandalism designs quote, sometimes you have to stand, stand out to fit, fit in. in. Let's talk more about inspiration. Who are three artists? And they don't have to be fashion designers. They can be musicians or visual artists, whatever. Who who are two or three artists that inspire you and, and why? Well, the musical love of my life is Prince. That's no big secret. Everyone that knows me knows this. I have more Prince music than anybody else you're going to be able to run into, whether it's digital or I bought. 
Prince's creativity always inspired me. He never seemed to have an end to it. And that's inspiring within itself. Believe it or not, the second one would be another musical artist, but it's a female, and that is Madonna. You know, as much grief as they give her at almost 60, Madonna's giving you grand style and grand performance. And I will always give her great respect for that, especially with as hard as the public has been on her as a human being. Uh, and the third inspiration that is always inspiration is Edgar Allan Poe. And that, I guess, kind of dark and odd within this conversation, but I've always been a fan. I have several books of his short stories and poetry, and his ability to astral project you somewhere with some of the things that he wrote, even from The Raven and some of the more obscure things like The Bell. It, just, it boggles my mind sometimes, because when I was younger, I actually heard an audio recording of The Bells, and I could never understand why he sat and wrote something with all the bells, the bells, the bells, ringing, clanging, clanging, <laughs> you know, all this different stuff. But then when I read an autobiography on him, he was in a city that they always had bells ringing. It was always some chapel steeple or something, and it was annoying him. And so to find that out, it still produced a creative thing that hundreds of years later, people still want to recite or read or write stories about to, you know, delve into that. So it's a beautiful thing. And that's what I love about him. And a lot of the short stories, I just think he was a, a very avant-garde writer. And I use that word very purposefully because he was writing about things and expressing things that few poets before him had done or even his peers were doing. Hmm. And it opened up a lot of doors for especially male poets to have deep emotion about things and be connected to things without it having any sort of feminine connotation or various things like that. You know, because as men, sometimes we are taught and spoken of not to express or show feeling because for some other reason it makes us weak. But I think it's just the opposite. It makes you stronger if you are in tune with things that touch your heart or touch your soul and you're able to react or interact with that. I think it makes us stronger people. With the influence of Poe and, and the other artists, would you say that your work tends to be uh, more on the dark side or more on the light side? It, it bounces back and forth. It, and usually you get to see it all at one time. So you see the fluff and bounce at the same time you see the dark and brooding. And so it never has that weight to it. Like 31 years ago, I designed a completely black wedding gown, 26 yards of Italian black lace. My friends laughed at me. My classmates laughed at me, told me I was crazy. Have you been in the bridal industry lately? Black wedding gowns are just now becoming in vogue. That's true. That's very true. I, I still have that dress. Now, I've lost two houses of possessions and all kinds of madness throughout my career, but the magic of the cosmos brought me this dress. <laughs> it brought it back to me because sure. I dreamed of this dress in my dream home that is yet to be built. I was in my master's suite, and this dress floated to me, and I duplicated what I had in that dream, and it will forever be one of my prized possessions. 
took me three and a half months to put the beads on it, mind you. Because <laughs> that's the best with the 150,000 beads. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think we should care about fashion? When do you not wear fashion? How many people in how many cultures are we walking around nude? Fashion is in our every thought. And most people don't think about it like that because a lot of people wear things that are practical to their geographical location or whatnot. But even the things that that is, is somebody had to design it. Somebody had to make it. And I think one of my favorite scenes from The Devil Wears Prada is when uh, Meryl Streep's character uh, reads Anne Hathaway's character about that cerulean blue. That is a true thing of fashion because without us making it a hot color, you could never go to Target and get it. You could never go to wherever and get it because it wouldn't be hot. It would only be on my clothing line or in the collection that I showed and no one would care about it. But to have a major designer or a designer that gets uh, recognition to do those things and to step out on those limbs, we make it possible for that young man, young woman, anywhere in the world, we let them know that they're not alone. We let them know that they're not by themselves. Think about the first goth kids. Imagine how much grief they got about being devil worshippers and all this. No, I just, dark things are not necessarily evil. And I think that's something that the dark things that I show, I always like to express. You can wear a black wedding dress because my whole analogy for the wedding thing is when you go all around the world, most people don't get married in white. That was a trend that Europe started, and it just kind of spread. But it wasn't about purity. It was just she wanted to be in white. Yeah. yeah. And it turned into this great big thing that, oh, you have to be married in white. And if you don't wear white, oh, it's some kind of connotation of who you are as a person. But you think about having an Indian wedding. You think about having a Jamaican wedding. They're not in white. Right, right. Oh, yeah. You know, you go to Korea. They're not getting married in white. You go to a Native American uh, reservation or wedding. They're not getting married in white. And if they are, it's because of the tradition that we have kind of crammed down people's throat in uh, America and Europe that you have to be married in white. And I just, I've never believed that because I have such a multinational group of friends and family that we've always done things different. You know, my grandmother was a great lady in the aspect that she hosted exchange students. And so I got to meet people from different parts of the U.S. and in some cases, a different part of the world that would be in my my home and I would learn about them. And so learning about other people's cultures and the way that they do things, the way that they dress, when you have that knowledge, it gives you a great base to play with. You don't have to be doing it out of a religious uh, context or a masculine or female context it gives you inspiration to produce things to make other things to go in different directions that maybe they didn't go um speaking of going in other directions what do you hope to give to the world with your art with your fashion a legacy of being different does not make you bad or weird or something unhuman like we all do it differently and we all think differently because we're individuals with brain stems and synaptic fires and whatnot, synaptic fires and whatnot uh, about various things. And those inspirations, those energies lead us, guide us, put us in directions. Because 
for me as an artist, everything opens up a doorway to something else. And I am never stuck for creativity. I am never stuck for my next idea. I am never without inspiration. And I hope that my legacy leaves the thought that you can be different and still be relevant and not weird, as well as being able to do things that are based in tradition but aren't the traditional. You said you're always inspired. Do you think it's more difficult to find inspiration for fresh ideas as as time goes on? Not at all, because it depends on where your focus is. Are you focused on the fabrication? Are you focused on the construction? Are you focused on the embellishment? All that changes. And then, too, with technology, like the polyesters we got as kids, they still make that polyester, but you would think it was silk. Yeah. Because of the weed because of the technology of today. And so those types of things are truly inspiring because what used to be uh, double-knit polyester is now this thing that looks like a silk charmeuse or a silk sheer. And you're like, wow, really? And it's not real. It's synthetic. It's polyurethane. Right. And and that's a beautiful thing. Or it could be a fleece sweatshirt. Exactly. (laughs) So then on that same note, what, what holds most people back from becoming a professional in in fashion design or in any field? The naysayers and self-doubt. Because if you're a person that puts yourself in a situation like, I will never forget how I was laughed and teased at fifth grade about attempting to design this dress and talking some of my classmates into actually wearing it. And yes, I took an old robe and made it, but it wasn't anything dirty or anything somebody had had on. It was just an old robe. I liked the fabric, so I took it and cut it up and made this wrap around, you know, tight dress. And the girls came and tried it on, but they were all just kind of taken back because it was out of a slinky robe fabric. And so you just have to be able to utilize what is your resource and not allow that resource to keep you from striving for better, striving to be better, striving to know better. Uh, Because my first couple of years in business, how I did things was I would go to the Goodwill or Salvation Army and get boxes and boxes of blue jeans. And that's how I did my painted and stone crusted jackets. I actually was out before the dude that was doing the leather in Nashville. Yes, I know him, but I'm just saying I was doing those jackets a little bit before he was, but that's okay. Uh, You know, I'm never here to take anything from anybody else. I am very happy with my placement in the world as a designer. I am viewed as a mentor, uh, and in a lot of the design circles, I am called a designer's designer, and that is someone that designers go to that don't want to sew their own stuff. I'm the guy that they come to to have custom work done. And so that's really cool because it's no greater respect than your peers to come and say, will you make me something? Will you produce something for me? Mm-hmm. If you had uh, like 60 seconds with your 20-year-old self, 20-year-old Troy, what advice would you give him? Mm. Do not be detoured from your vision. Do you think he would listen? Obviously, because you weren't detoured, were you? <laughs> no, no. And it has caused many tears and uh, lonesome nights and all kinds of things because I'm so dogged about what I do. I don't say it's the only factor, but it is the major factor of why I'm still single. It's because I'm so dogged about what I do. And everyone in fashion knows that fashion, if you're in the commercial industry, you're working six to eight to 12 months ahead of the curve 
of what everybody sees. So it's very hard to live that life where you're doing everything ahead of the mass populace. It, it makes it where you do stick out. You, you do stand out, you know, to fit in because your mindset is always ahead of the curve, always ahead of the trend, always ahead of, you know, whatever. The predictions because every year they go to the experts of fashion and color and whatnot to say what is going to be the color trend for this year what is going to be the garment trend for this year for male and female coats and the whole bit and i don't poo poo that but i don't follow that because it really depends on where you live and what your lifestyle is to how you dress so you were talking about the colors what a lot of people don't know, yeah, Pantone, the people who make color swatches, and they choose a color every year for color of the year. Do you know what color of 2017 is? I have no clue. <laughs> is it green? It is green. It's, okay. Pantone calls it greenery, so it's a, and it's a specific color of green, as you know. Um, so, yeah, if anybody ever wants to know that, the color of the year... Google Pantone color of the year and you can find out. And, and the only issue I have with that is a lot of people whose skin tone won't allow them to wear green. Right. No, you know, I'm and, one of those people. And that's one of the things that bothers me about those types of reports or those types of things that you can do because it gives people the wrong idea. It makes them feel like they're wrong or inadequate in some way because they can't wear the trend. Right. You know, and right. it's not because they choose not to wear it. it you know, it makes them look sick or, you know, it makes them look overweight or it washes them out. It's all these various things that go on with that. And so I, I just I've always thought that that was kind of weird. But you get it. You you understand it when you get in the industry because you see all these things like case in point. Before Prince had his custom yellow BMW done, you didn't see that banana color on cars. Right. Nowhere. Right. But now it's popular. It's on every car that you can name from the Maybach on down. And. That is a testament to his foresight, you know, and I believe that designers have that same foresight, but you have to be willing to stick to your guns because other industry people, other industry leaders, family, friends will deter you from that if they don't like it, if they don't care for it, if they think it's too weird, too avant-garde or too dressy. Because I've done things for people and restaurants and clubs and whatnot, and I've had my clients come back and say, it's just too opulent. Can you scale it down some? Hmm. And what do you say? Sure, if that's what you want. Because <laughs> I did a nightclub in Minneapolis, and I've been doing clubs for some years, but this club in particular, I was in at the ground level. I had say-so in every color and fabric aspect of the entire space and so I took that to heart that was a very serious thing to me and I went in and what the owner of the club because it was a hip-hop club he said I want to make it the most luxurious hip-hop club in three states I said bet I got you and I went in and I did that the, the front entryway I bet you had 300 yards of Italian cotton velvet and people would walk in and see sconce hanging out of fabric and fabric draped on the ceiling. Like, where the hell am I? Am I in a castle? What's going on here? This is too nice. And they felt uncomfortable coming into such a nice place. And then they walk into the great room and it was just as grand, you know, two-story draperies and, you know, whatnot that dropped from the top of the beam all the way down to the second floor on the dance floor and could be opened up and close it all off. And so these were things that I just were very adamant about doing that helped propel the club to this idea of being the most luxurious hip-hop club in three states. Hmm. Very cool. So uh, what are you working on today? What's, uh, what, 
what's on the plate for vandalism designs in the future? I'm working on a uh, dress code for a client, <laughs> and I'm producer of a TV show that I'm working on, and we're almost done with that. So it runs the gamut. I'm always doing something. I usually stay booked uh, six to eight months in advance, but that advanced booking may be me booking out things for photo shoots, video shoots, what have you. Did you, uh, did you want to talk about that show in any more detail, or you want to just keep that under wraps till, till more comes along? All I'll say is Travel Buds TV. Travel Buds TV, okay. Um, any last words that you'd like to share, pieces of wisdom that you want to impart with our listeners? If I say anything, I will say how I started. Sometimes you have to stand out to fit in. <laughs> that's good, that's good. And so... For folks who want to get in touch with Troy, um, if you Google vandalism designs, he owns the first page of Google. <laughs> Everything on Google comes up under vandalism designs, and that's V-A-N-D-A-L-I-S-M designs, vandalism designs. Troy, thanks so much for being on our show today. I really appreciate you having here. It was a great conversation about the fashion industry and uh, what it takes to, to make it in fashion. Thanks so much. And Jim, I thank you and Craig for being so diligent for the artists of this community because I appreciate how you showcase us because it's not a lot of people doing it, and I thank you. Of course. Always a pleasure. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of the Crave Magazine podcast. Our thanks again to guest Troy Williams of Vandalism Designs. And once again, the music for this episode is provided by the band Desert Dwellers. Please do check them out online at desertdwellers.org. They create fabulous, fabulous music. Thank you for listening to the Crave Magazine podcast. I am Jim Wills, your host and producer for this episode, and I am on a mission to bring art back to the world. And with your help, we can make that happen. So please take a moment to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. And if you like what you heard, even more importantly, tell your friends. If there's something that we can do better, by all means, let us know. And if you are an artist or even just want to hear from a favorite artist, well, send us a message. We are putting this show out for all of us who love and appreciate the arts. So tell us how we can improve. Remember, always be good to one another. And of course, take time to feed your soul with art. Art.